0: Everybody, welcome into 1043 the fans coffee break. Mark Schlerath, Rachel V. Hill hanging out with you. Plus, we have a special guest and Mark's grandson Zane. How are you, Mark? Hello. I
1: am I am doing good. You know, you go through these stages as a parent or a grandparent where all of a sudden your your grandkid or your kid just loves you more than anything in the world. And right now, for whatever reason uh zane will not let me put him down so he wants to go everywhere with me he wants me to carry him everywhere and um anyhow long story short um that's what we have right now so anyhow we'll just let him do his thing
0: the best moments to be completely honest i think my parents would probably say that their grandkids are better than their kids right
1: yeah well what the, the old saying goes that uh, grandkids and grandparents get along so well because they have a common enemy the parents and uh, so, yeah, you, you try to torture your own kids as much as possible by spoiling your grandkids and letting them do things that you never got to do. So that's uh, that's how the whole thing works.
0: I love it. I love it. OK, let's get into a little bit of Broncos talk. If the dream or if the draft could be a complete dream to you, who do you expect the Broncos to pick with their first, or second and third round picks?
1: Well, see, this is this is where the draft is a complete dream to me. Because I think that they have done a good enough job to where you're not, you're not, you don't have to focus in on one position or you don't have to go after somebody. And it's. Oops.
0: Looks like I have a technical issue. We'll see if we get him back in here for a quick second.
1: Ah, there we go. Sorry about that. But (laughs) they're in a position where you don't have to go after a player um, at a position that's that's not as good as another player. So a lot of times, you know, everybody talks about um, pos- like positional need versus best player available. And I think the Broncos have put themselves in a position where they can truly attack the best player available or at least the best pay- player available um, that fits a position of need. But you don't go like, hey, we really need, for instance, a tight end and we're going to draft a guy – who's who's rated lower than an offensive tackle that we really like, but we just need the tight end more or, or whatever. To plug any position in there. I think one of the things that the Broncos have put themselves in a position to do is say, truly, let's go after building depth and finding the best players we can because you talk to anybody who's involved in this year's draft, and they'll say, this is a second-day bonanza draft. The best players, to me – you know, like The guys who are going to come and make your football team and bolster your roster and have a chance to compete for starting jobs are all in that second, third, fourth round. So it's a great, it's a great opportunity to really um, find some, quote-unquote, value picks. And one thing about the draft you have to understand is, and, and you can talk to general managers ad nauseum about this, but a lot of them will tell you there truly isn't any draft in today's modern draft maybe 15 to 17 players that are worthy of a number one pick, like a a worthy of a first round pick. And ultimately, then they're all second rounders after about 17 or 18. So, you know, the, the point being is what ends up happening to you a lot of times is in the draft is the quarterbacks are so overvalued. None of them are worth a first round pick but you elevate four or five of them into the top 10 or three or four of them in the top 10, it means you're pushing down three or four really good players after 10, 12, 15. So that's what ends up happening, uh, happening in these drafts. And that's why some of these great, you know, great talents or receivers that get drafted like Jefferson 24 overall and just explodes onto the scene. Well, because they overvalue the quarterbacks and some other players and those guys get pushed down, um, into, into a lower part of the first round. But this is a great opportunity for the Broncos because there's a lot of talent um, involved in the, in the first, second, third, like the second, third, and, and fourth rounds.
0: And it's hard to believe that we're really only a week away from the draft. Like this offseason, I feel like it's flying by. There's been so much exciting news happening, especially here in Broncos country. But at the running back position, there's still some questions there. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we heard Melvin Gordon was connected with the Ravens. Nothing happened there, it seems like, in the past couple of weeks. But people are wondering, what about Mike Boone? Why not stick with him?
1: You know, I think that's I think that's probably I think that's probably great. Here's here would be my take. I mean, obviously, Javante Williams has proven that he can be a, a bell cow type of back and a guy that's going to give you you know a great opportunity. He can catch the ball, he runs hard, he breaks tackles, he does all those things. Mike Boone, I think, is a really good football player. You know, the Melvin Gordon thing is interesting to me because I look at it you know from a couple different levels. One. They completely overpaid Melvin Gordon for the last two years. It is what it is. That's what they decided to do. Um, but, you know, he put the ball on the ground, what, four times last year, four fumbles, one costly, one that, that might have cost you a game against Kansas City as you've lost 13 straight to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so that's never a good thing. That's on you. You can't put the ball on the ground, but you'll never re sign that guy, even if it's a, a, a dirt cheap. Even let's say it's a, you know, a veteran minimum of, of a million, whatever. Why would you spend a million dollars or $2 million on a back that can't play special teams? Like that's nothing. He's never been asked to do that. Like that to me. And I keep hearing people ask me questions like, well, do you think they'd bring Melvin Gordon back and, and have that one, two punch and let Javante beat? No, they won't. That, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him back. You couldn't pay me to bring him back. So I think they'll go with Boone. I think they'll go with Williams. I think they'll probably draft the guy as well to add depth to that room but if you're not the starter, you've got to be able to play special teams. Mike Boone has proven that he can do that in this league. He's not above that. He'll do that again this year once he's healthy. So I think that's the direction they'll go. But I do think they'll draft another running back.
0: What's your take on the splitting reps at the running back position?
1: I think that's part of uh, – uh, that's really part of what the league has become, um, you know, different in my time. My time was you had a Belkow guy, and maybe you had a guy that came in and got, you know, six or seven carries or whatever, maybe caught the ball occasionally. But the bottom line is um, it has become more of a two-back league, and, and and part of that is because, you know, you don't want to tip your hand. You know, it's one of the reasons that I know, um, I know he was a fan favorite. He grew up here. Uh, oh, gosh, now I can't even remember his name. How no, quickly I fr- – yeah, Philip Lindsay. Um, but there was definitely there was definitely a feel of, "Hey, man, he's a one-dimensional guy. So if you bring him in, this is what they're doing." Um, and and so the versatility of having a back that can do everything, like Javante Williams, who catches the ball well out of the backfield, does all those things, can Blitz pick up and do all that? Um, it's imperative to have those guys. So to me, you want to have guys that are so versatile they can do whatever. Um, But you never want to tip your hand because it's important, especially in third downs, Rachel. If you're in third down and four minus, meaning four or less yards, it's important to have a guy that's a threat running the ball as well as catching the ball out of the backfield. You want the defense to have to question in their own mind going, okay, what's the likelihood of a run here? What's the likelihood of a pass here? What's the likelihood that he releases? What's the likelihood that he stays in? You want all those things on the table because bottom line, if you have to think about it, you know what it means? It means that you're that much slower in reacting to what they do or what the offense does. And so that's why the versatility aspect of your running back is vitally important. And, and, um, and that's why the guys that are kind of quote unquote one trick ponies are hard. They're, they're hard to keep in the backfield. For any length of time, unless it's like unless it's third down and 13 and everybody in their brother's uncle knows you're throwing the football like I I get that part of it. Those guys have value there. But the bottom line, if you're on schedule um, and you're in those third down and short situations, though, it's important to have the versatility at the running back position.
0: We got a question in the comments for you, Mark. It says, does Mark care who the next owner of the Broncos ends up being?
1: I don't care who it is as long as – a couple of things. As long as, one, they have deep pockets, um, you know, and, and are willing to spend the money. And, two, um, that they have the ability to delegate authority and let football people make football decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a, I think that's a, a big part of, of what makes you successful. Um, you know, we always used to joke around when I played here, Uh, And we joke around with Mr. Bowling all the time, like owner's own coaches, coach and, and players play the players go out there and play the coaches, put them in position and owners, you write checks. That's, that's what your job is. Just write checks. So I think that's a, I think it's a big.
0: Mark's a busy man. I'm sure his phone's just going off. So we'll give him a quick second to reconnect again but Joseph in the comments just said, impeccable. Sorry about Oh, that. you're good. I said yes. you're a popular man. You're probably getting phone calls or text messages.
1: Well, you know, I turned off that part of my phone, but I don't know what's going on here from the standpoint. My grandson is playing on the computer, so maybe he's logging on to some things that he shouldn't be logging on to. So, <laughs> yeah, he's gone. My wife probably. just took it. A-
0: Love it. Well, we're going to miss him here because he is definitely a cutie, that's for sure. But my other question for you, Mark, is we've talked about how Russell Wilson has just completely changed this team for the Broncos. Can one player change the team? And now I'm looking at the Rockies when it comes to Chris Bryant. They're obviously doing well, but can it just be one person who can do that?
1: I think we've seen that here. You know, we have probably a better perspective than most organizations in the NFL because we saw Peyton Manning instantly walk in and change the culture of an organization. And I think you've seen that with Russell Wilson. One, he brings confidence and, you know, some swagger because of what he's done in the past and because of the position he plays. But then he comes in and he sets a tone from a work ethic standpoint um, that I think most players with the Broncos over the last five years didn't really understand. I I think the difference, Rachel, between – really, really good teams and teams that kind of are mediocre or below average is those teams that are below average or mediocre really think they're working hard. They think they're preparing. They think they're, you know, they think they're they're grinding. You know, we're working our tails off and we're doing all that. And then somebody like Russell Wilson comes in and you're like, oh, my Lord, I got to pick up my game. It's I'm, I'm not even close to the level of preparation that I need to be to be a champion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Russell Wilson brings. Like his work ethic. One, he's one of those people, one of those annoying people that needs about four hours of sleep a night. That's it. I don't know how he does it. I don't either because he's that, that part of him I find incredibly annoying. Uh, He's incredibly motivated. And, Mm His his attention to detail, his ability, you know, his his work ethic, his ability to 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 kind of quote unquote leave no stone unturned. And I don't know if I've told you this before. I've had the discussion on Schlereth and Evans with Mike, but um I've you know I always pick people's brains when I'm broadcasting a game. Like, what is it like if you were doing what I was doing? What how would you prepare and how do you prepare to get yourself ready to play? Cause I'm always interested in people's processes, right? How do you, how do you get to the point where you prepare? How much is enough? How much do you wing it? How, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And so I said, okay, you're on the road, Russell, break it down for me. How does your week go of preparation? You, you just get done with the game. You guys win the game and you get on the team plane to fly out. Mm-hmm. It was, well, the first thing I do is I watch the game twice. I watch it once as a fan and then I watch it I watch it once to critique my performance play by play by play so mm-hmm. that's how I go through it right so you're watching you're not you're not watching the defense you're watching the offense right so you're watching the game the offense that you just put out there on the on the, the field as a fan just to see how the flow of the game went then you're going back and you're breaking down your performance so you you know you're throwing it thirty five times you're breaking it down every play then you start in on the next week's opponent and you start breaking it down by however you break it down so let's say you say hey I want to break down blitzes versus dogs blitzes is you bring in you know you, you blitz to me is I'm bringing um more than you have the block mm-hmm. where a dog is I'm bringing an extra player but I can still play zone behind that I, I still have the opportunity to to mix and match things behind it so you know zo- like a, a dog would be i'm bringing five uh, a, a blitz would i'm bringing six or more right depending on how many guys you have to block so you got to kind of discern those things so now i'm going through blitzes and dogs now maybe i go through hey first downs what are they on on first downs versus base so if we have a two-back offense in with one tight end what do they run three backs? Do they run a nickel version of like, what do they run? Are they an under front? Are they an over front? Are they an even front? What, like, what do they run? What goes, Hey man, if they're in an under front, do they play cover one or cover three with it and bring down a safety, either weak or strong to be run support. So you start breaking the game down that way. And then you start looking at third downs like, okay, third down. And you know, third down and three minus third down and, three to five, third down and seven pl- whatever. And so mm-hmm. the next couple of days, he breaks all that stuff down. And then that night on Tuesday night, he'll put a 15 page report together and hand it to every person on the offense. So he'll hand it to the wide receivers. He'll hand it to the coaching staff. He'll hand it. This is my breakdown of the team we're about to play. And so his preparation, then he says, come Wednesday, when we start practicing, now it's like I'm in dress rehearsal Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Cuz I've already done I've already done all the work to prepare myself to play the team. And and so then he'll even put in fake stuff in his scouting report to make sure his receiving core reads it. So he'll quiz them on fake stuff, like things that he intentionally put in there to see if he can trip guys up. Like it's it's insane. And oh by the way, he seems to be able to make a, a visit to the children's hospital every Tuesday as well. Uh-huh. You know, and, he, and he's still up in the morning every morning he swims. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's part of his rehab. Every morning he swims. Like, I, I'm, when I kid you, I'm, I'm kidding you. When I tell you he gets four hours of sleep a night, that's, that's what he does. That's how he functions.
0: Oh, my gosh. First of all, I didn't know he was a swimmer. That's pretty crazy. But also,
1: listen, if you go to the hotel, like go to the team hotel, like if you go travel with the Broncos and let's say they're in in Vegas playing the Raiders, Uh you you want to meet Russell Wilson, go down to the go down to the public pool Sunday morning. Before anything is happening, and eventually Russell Wilson will walk in to swim. That's a little inside info for you.
0: Oh my goodness. I hope people are listening. Cause yeah, Yeah. what a way to meet him, but how to do a 15 page paper, right? We all talk about like in college when you're a professor would do that, but to do that every single week Mm. is just shows the level of intensity that he takes it to. And I think you're right. I think this offense is learning on a whole new level of what it takes to actually win.
1: Right. To win championships, you have to have that level of intensity, that level of preparation, everybody has to be on that page. And um, and and you know, there's part of me that looks at it. If you don't have players that hold everybody accountable that way, n- guys are most likely not going to do the work. I, I always used to tell my son when he was coming up and 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 you know, trying to become you know a collegiate pitcher and a, and eventually making it to the major leagues. Um, I always used to tell them just because you play a pro sport doesn 't make you a professional mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of guys, and I think there's a lot of guys on the Broncos that played pro football but weren 't professionals and I think and, and it it's no fault of their own; they come into an environment where they 're not held accountable that way mm-hmm. um because like the coaches can tell you how vital and how important it is, but until the players adhere to it and, and glom onto it and really like really embrace that um, it's, it's really hard, you know, because you just don't know. And collegiately, it's not that way. You know, high school obviously is not that way. Most of the time you can just get over or you're just so much more gifted than everybody else is on the field that it's that, All that other stuff doesn't matter. The preparation aspect doesn't matter because you're just an exceptional athlete. You get to the NFL, everybody is exceptional. And what sets you apart, what goes going good to great or great to exceptional is the amount of work you put in to the game, understanding the game, um, understanding the nuance of the game and and having a deeper level of understanding and you being able to visually see something and know exactly right off the bat oh here's what they're doing here's what they're trying to get me on and and that just takes that takes repetition and it takes preparation mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean you just think about it but i guess my other question is you said you know they were all pro athletes but to be like professional can this entire offense be that exceptional level? Obviously, we know where Russ is, but can the rest of this offense be exceptional?
1: Right. Uh, Well, I think, one, you've got a very young receiving core that's going to, they're going to get exposed to the, they're going to get exposed to the value of import and the importance of teams. And, and what I mean by that, you can be Jerry, Judy, and you can be, you know, you can be loud. Is it lauded as, as the great route runner or one of the best route runners and, and all this, that, and the other. But until you start to understand, um, until you understand the timing of routes, the timing of route concepts, and where you need to be. So if you're not where you can, you can shake a guy down and you can shake him off, out of his shoes, right? But if you're not, if your head's not turned around, you're not looking at the quarterback when you need to be looking at the quarterback, you're not open. Mm -hmm. And so you can have, you know, I saw this analytics and I'm not an analytics guy. It drives me crazy, but he had the greatest separation, like the greatest route separation of anybody. Well, I don't care if you're four yards open. If you're not open based on the timing of the route, the quarterback is on to the next read. You know, when you hear people talk about hitches, in an offense. Okay, my first hitch, I drop, bam, first. Then all of a sudden, hitch, second. Hitch, third. So I'm going through a progression. If you're not looking at me and you're not ready, I'm not, most quarterbacks aren't throwing you the ball. Mm-hmm. So after that point, you can get four yards of separation. Well, he's not coming to you because he's already moved on. The quarterback has. The other thing is, is the precision of route running and not getting taken off your spot where you're supposed to be so there's so much about about offense that that um you have to understand um it's separation between north and south so it's route separation right and it's also Mm -hmm. east and west it's the width so you're trying to basically put one defender in conflict Mm -hmm. and and to put defenders in conflict you have to have the proper route separation so for instance, you see my two hands here.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: that's if that's supposed to be a, like one route is going across the field this way and the other route's coming over the top, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got a cross and you've got a, a dig. That dig is supposed to be at, at, let's call it, 17 yards, and that cross is supposed to be at five or six yards. So you're supposed to have 12 yards of separation. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden, and let's say my face is a defender or my nose is a defender, right? Mm -hmm. And I jump here, see my nose right here is covering this. Look how much room I have up here to throw the ball. Now, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, let's say this guy is supposed to run this route at, you know, at like I said, four or five yards. Let's say he runs it at seven. And this guy that's supposed to be at 17, 18, he runs it at 14. Mm -hmm. Now, guess what? This defender can sit between the two of those, right? And he can cover this and he can cover this. You don't want to – do you see where, where I'm getting at? And, and so yeah. if you're not – if you don't have precision on those two routes, guess what? One dude covers two guys. Mm-hmm. And now the quarterback is like, oh, shoot, let me throw my check down. Or, oh, you know, oh, all of a sudden, man, I'm getting one in the, in the mouth because that ball's supposed to be gone and that ball isn't gone because both of those receivers are covered by one guy because both guys didn't run the route properly. And, and so that's the attention to detail that a guy like Russell Wilson can bring where, frankly, and it's no fault of Drew Locke, but Drew Locke couldn't bring it because he doesn't know. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So there's that- Super Bowl winners and then there's people that didn't make the playoffs for a reason, even if you're both in professional sports.
1: Right. And so, you know, that's part of, of growing and having that cachet and being able to, to sit there and say in practice, stop it. If you don't run that, get him out. He can't run that route at, at seven yards. He, that route needs to be run at four yards. Get him out. I don't want him in there. And, and if you were ever, and I know you weren't, but I was, you ever around Peyton Manning? Watch um, a yeah. receiver in practice. Watch a receiver run a route that's supposed to be cut at 12 and him cutting it at 10. And mm-hmm. watch Peyton Manning. I mean, you want to talk about curse like a sailor. Watch Peyton Manning come out, get after that guy. And that guy gets frozen out the rest. Like he doesn't get to touch the ball again. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, and those, that's what, that's the, um, that's the level of, of intensity and also the level of preparation that a guy like Peyton or a guy like Russell Wilson brings.
0: Oh, my goodness. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited for this upcoming season. Uh, Moving on to Nuggets, though, obviously currently struggling. It's been a rough couple of games for them against the Warriors. And I know you talked on your morning show about how for Jamal Murray, you know, you don't know how your body's going to react until you get out there. You've obviously Mm -hmm. gone through plenty of knee injuries in your career. Is, is there any point in him coming back at all for this season or should they truthfully just wait and have him come back next year?
1: Uh, at this point, I mean, he's not like, he's not, he's obviously is not ready and you know, you know that you'll never know until you know, you never know until you go out there and, and give it a whirl. And it's hard to have, I mean, it's not hard. I mean, it's virtually impossible to have confidence. It, you just have to go out there and do it. But at this point, he clearly is not ready. He clearly doesn't feel right. He clearly mentally can't overcome that hurdle. And I get it, man. It's it's really hard. So at this point, what is been... the hurdle,
0: Stink? Like what what goes on in your head?
1: Well, the first the first thing is you tear an ACL and yeah, you know, it's more than just pain, because it's it's painful when it happens. When you like I was explaining this to Mike. When you hear it, so it is. It is like. It's like one of those things that you'll you'll never truly get over. When you tear it, the it's the pop reverberates through your body and it's audible in your ears. So you put your foot in the ground. You know it's usually a, a it's usually a a non contact change of direction. Put your foot in the ground and it's and it and it pops. You put your foot in the ground. You hear it in your ears and anybody who's gone through it will resonate. This will resonate with it. All of a sudden it's like, or, you know, in your head, just one big pop like that. And you just crumple to the ground. And so you have the surgery, you do the rehab, you're going through all the motions, but you still have, you know, you still have what you feel like is potentially instability or pain or irritation or, hey, man, I have done. I did a lot of work today and now all of a sudden I have a little swelling. So in the back of your mind, you're like, can I overcome? Can I get back to the level I was at? Can I get over the top? One of the things I tell players who have injuries like this um, all the time is the, the way I got over the mental hurdle, and I've helped several other guys over the course of their careers do the same, is I just kind of reestablished what my 100% is. And so I always used to say, hey, man, to get over it mentally, you have to go, okay, I have declared myself 100%. And maybe it's 80% of what it used to be, but it's now my new 100%. So I am 100%, and now I'm ready to roll. And that's when all of a sudden you have to start making the mental adjustments of, Hey, man, I can't put myself in that position because I can't react the way I used to react or I can't recover the way I used to recover. So now the cerebral part of of playing becomes vitally important. Can I take that what is now 80 percent of what I used to be and still be a really effective player? Yes. But now I have to play the game with far more of a neck up mentality than a neck down mentality. And. There's, there's a lot that goes into that, um, and frankly, you know, I, I talk about it. It's not easy, man. It's it's one of the most difficult things that you, you, you have to do as a player is to say, all right, I'm good enough to go, and I can still be very effective because it's hard mentally when you come to the realization that, man, I used to be able to do this, and now I can't do that anymore. And, you know, that, that, when you always relied on your body just to react and do things that the average human can't do, and now all of a sudden you can't do that anymore, um, you know, it's 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 a hard thing mentally to overcome.
0: Mm-hmm. And young, too. The, not to make myself sound like I'm super old by any means, but, you know, I'm even starting to realize that there's certain things that I couldn't do back when I was 21, right? And Jamal is so young, so it probably has mm-hmm. to be very difficult for him to be so young and be like, I will never be able to be that 100% again.
1: Right. I used to – I tell guys all the time, hey, no offense, but um, I had a, a baseball player by the name of Darren Bragg 100 years ago that was recovering from an ACL with the Rockies, and he came up to me, and I was – I think I might have still been playing. I was down in spring training, um, and he asked me for advice on his knee. And he just said, Hey man, I'm not quite a hundred. I was like, how you feeling? You know, you come back from the ACL. And he's like, man, I'm okay. And he was playing. He's like, I'm okay, but I'm not quite a hundred percent. I'm just not quite there. I'm not quite there. And I, I basically said, Hey man, um, can I talk candidly with you? And I go, and he says, yeah, for sure. And I go, you'll not 100% yourself right out of major league baseball. Mm. And I go, I said, You'll never be a hundred percent. You'll never be what you once were. You're altered for the rest of your life. Accept it and say, This is my new hundred percent and move on and play. And so it was kind of a it was kind of a reality check kind of conversation, but it was a very honest and very raw conversation. So fast forward eight, nine years later, I'm at ESPN, I'm doing some late night radio, you know, and uh I'm walking through the halls of ESPN, and all of a sudden there's Darren Bragg, and he introduced himself to me again. And uh, he goes, he was in doing some um, some radio, some playoff radio for baseball. He was, he was, you know, they were out of the playoffs. I think at the time he played for the Reds or whoever. And he goes, mm-hmm. dude, you saved my career. You saved my career. And he goes, I was, I was not willing to make that mental shift. And once I made the mental shift, and he went on to play another like eight years in the big leagues. You know, he goes, once I made the mental shift. I was like, all right, I'm, th- this is it. This is my new 100%. Let's go. And he goes, and I never thought about it twice from that point forward type of thing. So um, easy to say and to talk about, hard to do.
0: Wow. Yeah. I love that. Okay. We're already at 30 minutes, but we promised the people a Q and a from you, Mark. So we've got a couple questions that came in on Twitter last night. So we're going to wait. Okay. So one of them is as a lineman who played at an elite level in a wide zone system, what do you see as critical traits for success? Is athleticism overrated or underrated?
1: I think athleticism is always, um, I think it's always important. Um, it, it's really important, but it's not the end all be all your ability to run and be on track and do all those things. Uh, I think it's probably overrated to a uh probably overrated to a point because people just think that it's about your ability to be athletic and it really is more about your ability to be on track and be on pace and be on the same page. Is the guys that you're playing in that wide zone system with to be able to work in unison, um, and so it really it really has to do more with your takeoff angles and everybody being in sync on that offense, um, and I think that's what makes it that's what makes it hard because there are plenty of times in a zone system where you're man to man with your guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, so in any zone system, there may be, you know, three guys that are in a zone and and one guy is a man to man or two guys are man to man, Um, depending on the defense they get into. And it's always shifting and always changing because you play multiple fronts. So at one point, if I'm playing guard, at one point I'm working in unison with my center. Mm -hmm. The next play, we could run the exact same play and I could be working in a zone zone you know, from working in a zone with my center to working in a zone with my offensive tackle. And then we could run the exact same play, the exact same call, In the next play, I could be singled up with just my, myself on a, on a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. So in that one zone play, based on the defense they give me, there can be three, four different things that I am responsible for uh, and I have to change my technique or my footwork, and, and we all have to be on the same page. All five guys have to work in unison, plus your fullback, plus your running back, plus your tight end. So um, I think really the, the most vital part is technique and being able to see the game the exact same way that the guy on your left sees it and the guy on your right sees it. You guys have to be able to see and communicate the exact same thing. And then you have to be able to do that, why the defense is shifting and changing. And we have to be on such a page. So, like, I always get, I always get these questions from coaches that want me to help them. You know, I consult for a couple of NFL teams that want me to help them. They always say, hey, we want to be better at, at running the ball. And my question to them is, do you? Do you really want to be better at running the ball? And yes, we want – do you really? Because, like, everybody wants to be skinny, right? But they don't want to do the work. They actually just want to take a pill. And the NFL is very much the same way. We all want to run the ball better, but we don't want to actually commit the time that it takes to run the ball better. We just want to be better, like, by taking a pill. And it doesn't work that way. You have to have a commitment to the zone system that is – that, you know, is as strong as any marriage relationship – to make it work. And most teams just aren't willing to do that.
0: Interesting. I love that the way you can describe things so that even an average fan can totally digest everything you just said, Mark, moving on to the next question. now biggest Broncos need to address in the draft. We kind of talked a little bit about this earlier.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's, I mean, I think, um, defensively I think another defensive lineman that could be a difference maker is something they need to address I think a long-term solution at the right tackle position is something that I'd love to see them address um, be it in the second round moving up in the second round or you know finding a guy that you really believe in in the third round or whatever but I think they need a long-term solution and then I think you need I think one of the bigger needs they need that that they have is a tight end in this system that is versatile, um, that can play what I would call both Y and F tight end. So, So the issue that you get into, again, we talked about this a little bit with the running backs. At the tight end position, you know, everybody has become enamored with being a wide receiver at the tight end position. (laughs) <laughs> and in the in the West Coast offense, the one thing I don't want is I don't want a tight end or tight multiple tight ends that can only do one thing. So I have to have a tight end that can line up on the front side of a wide zone and be in combination with my tackle or be in tight combination with my other tight end or be in combination with my fullback and dominate the line of scrimmage front side. Also need a tight end that can that can be good enough on the backside to cut off and do those things. Now I also need to tie it in. They can shift from one side of the ball to the next side of the ball and be either a front side fill guy, a front side attack guy, or a backside fill and cut off guy. And so, and then I also need that guy to be able to not only run routes from the traditional Y position, but to be in flex, or in the slot or outside the numbers and flex like as a Z and, and to be able to exploit a defense that way. So honestly, Rachel, as I, as I travel around talking to coaches and doing games, I think. Obviously the quarterback has the most to know of any, any position, but you think about a true versatile, like George Kittle type of tight end from San Francisco. He's got to mm-hmm. know hands down, what his position is as the Y, as the blocking or, or, you know, the single tight end. Then he also has to understand the F. Then he has to understand, hey, man, at times, I'm going to be in 12 personnel, two tight ends as the F, but I'm going to have to play fullback instead of the tight end position. So now mm-hmm. I have to know all the routes from the fullback position, from the F second tight end position, from the Y tight end position. But, oh, by the way, I may be running slot. So now I have to have the route tree out of my slot, and I've got to be able to motion and flip sides and and motion out of that slot position. And, oh, by the way, if we flex, now I have to have the Z route tree down. So I think – and I have to understand the blocking schemes and how we're going to run the ball. I think after quarterback, tight end, that versatile tight end that isn't just a one-trick pony – has the toughest position in football, from a mental yeah. standpoint. He has he has to, he has to have more base knowledge of the offense than any other player.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think you're right. There's so many different um, mm-hmm. like books that they have to be able to juggle too, and I don't think that the Broncos have that person right now. Move on to the next question. That way, we can keep these rolling. Otherwise, I could probably talk to you for the next two hours, right. Mark. But what material do you like to use for overseeding? We know you're big into your yard,
1: right? Okay, so I always, obviously, I try to do the, um, I, I aerate first. Um, I like, I like Kentucky bluegrass. Is is kind of my best, like my, my favorite grass seed. Um, is it is susceptible here to uh, um, Leaf blight or a, uh, a necrotic ring spot, um, and so if you get a a mixture of of a couple of different types of grasses in there, but I like I like the heaviest to be Kentucky blue. Um, that so that's what I would do is put the the grass seed down, and then I do a a mixture um, over the top of that of soil and sand, um, and so because I want I want. Um, I don't want that. This ground tends, tends to be kind of a lot of clay. I don't want compaction. I, the sand helps keep, um, helps keep water moving through your lawn. So those are the, those are kind of my three things that I do when it comes to overseeding is sand soil mixture. Um, you know, almost kind of like one third sand, two thirds soil or almost half and half that type of thing. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I, I like a a grass seed that's mostly Kentucky blue, but has a few other things in there um to, to help it stand up against some of the, like I said, some of the funguses, the necrotic ring spot and stuff that becomes kind of, can become kind of prominent here in Colorado.
0: Okay, well, I'm about to do my yard here. I just moved into a new house, so I'm going to be texting you, Mark, because I need all okay. the yard help, please. Okay, next question. Can Mark confirm what birdies are telling Tyler Columbus about Denver actually being all in next year, as opposed to this year, Uh, distinct believe in trading up for any player this year and who?
1: Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't know who Tyler talks to um, over at the Broncos. And, you know, the, the all in, the all in aspect of, um, Of the league. Hey, listen, anytime you have a guy like Russell Wilson, you have a chance to obviously win a lot of games and be a playoff contender. And when you get into the playoffs, um, you know, it it really comes down to being a complete football team. Um, And it's not just about, you know, it's not just about your quarterback. If it was – the Kansas City Chiefs would have four start, four straight world championships instead of one and been to the AFC championship game four times. So it, it really is about complete teams, and, and I think part of um, great playoff runs to me is, uh, can you control the line of scrimmage? You show me the team that dominates the line of scrimmage both offensively and defensively, and I'll show you the team that probably wins 80-plus percent of the playoff games. So – it's a combination you got to have the quarterback obviously but you've got to be able to you've got to be able to to me you got to be able to dictate to the other team both offensively and defensively you got to say hey this is what we're in and uh, almost to this global gym philosophy of we're better than you and we know it and um and those teams to me are the ones that uh, end up winning championships
0: all right moving on next question i think we've got two more being from alaska did he play any hockey
1: uh, I did not play hockey uh, i i i watched a ton of hockey hockey was probably probably the most popular sport in the state when I was uh growing up uh we used to go to all the high school hockey games and all my buddies i had a bunch of buddies that played high school hockey um but I never played i never i ne- i i cannot i'm barely balanced on a pair of ice skates so no i never got to, i never had the opportunity to play but i like I said, I watched a ton of hockey growing up and I, I was involved in, uh, in, um, you know, support my buddies who played, but, uh, I never played.
0: Are you taking the abs to win the Stanley cup this year?
1: I am taking the abs to win the Stanley cup. They need to, I think, to me, anything less than the Stanley cup for the abs would be a, um, a, a huge disappointment. Getting bounced last year was a big disappointment, not getting to the Stanley cup. Um, I don't care about president's trophies. They need to win a Stanley cup. So, um, this season, in, in my mind, if they don't win the Stanley Cup, it's a uh, it's it's a disappointing season.
0: Yep, I'm with you. Okay, I believe this is the last question for you, Stink. Ask Mark, does the reduction in padded practice and training camp have a negative effect on offensive line play in the NFL?
1: Yes, I mean, there's, there's the offensive and defensive line play. Um suffers with a lack of a lack of padded practices, a lack of um, just understanding the fits and understanding, um, you know, understanding and, and the feel of of blocking people, the footwork and all the things that are imperative um, to doing that. Um, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So yeah, it certainly has an effect on um, on the play of the offensive line, the play of the offense in general, um, and so yeah, it's it, to me that's where the nuance and understanding of of playing in the NFL and playing that position really, you know, really get driven to the forefront. Is is, and, and this is an important part of coaching, and one of the reasons that you know I, I get all these consulting jobs is all right, here's what we're trying to feel. Here's what we're trying to look for. and here's how we can work on that with, without having pads on. And, and so just the little nuanced aspects of, um, of doing those things is really the difference between you know between being good and being great at, at blocking people and being tied together as a unit.
0: Well, Mark, thank you so much for all of your insight, all your stories, too. We really appreciate you hopping on Coffee Break with us. Thank you also for bringing on your grandson. He was a joy. He was so cute as well. So thank you.
1: You got it, Rachel. Take care. Have a great day. All right, everyone.
0: 1030 again tomorrow morning. Coffee Break. Check us out. We'll see everybody later.